Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. I uh, hope you're ready and excited for the worship service this morning. Uh, we are going to be having the Lord's Supper, and so you'll notice, of course, we don't have little holders on the back of your chairs, but there are some little plastic uh, dis disposable things underneath the ends uh, of your chair rows, uh, as well as at the back rows, there's some bags there that you can dispose those in. And then if you want to keep one of those little plastic containers, uh, you're free to keep one of those. This will be the only time we'll be using one of those. The only thing we ask is if you, when you leave, if you'll take the, the cups that are, the empty cups that are in it and just dispense those in the garbage can as you walk out and then you can take the little plastic container with you. But we want to welcome you this morning. Uh, if you're joining with us online, whether you're there on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, any of those, be sure to like, to heart, to share, to follow us, subscribe there on YouTube, click that little notification bell, give the thumbs up. All that just helps with their algorithms to get everything out there to more people. And also want to say welcome to those who are watching or listening on our phone live streaming. If you need that number, please let me know. We'll be glad to give that to you. And then also, uh, don't forget if you are there at home, you can go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download today's worship bulletin, the children's worship bulletins. You can send those links to anybody you want. Uh, the children's worship bulletins are in the windowsill to my right. Uh, these are at all the doors and in the windowsills. Uh, well, I think just in, the, in these windowsills up here and at the doors uh, when you leave. So be sure to grab one of those with the upcoming events. And then the prayer list is out here on the table in the racks uh, there where the magazines are. So be sure uh, to pick up one of those if you need the prayer list. That's also under the info tab uh, on our church website there. So be sure uh, to do that. We're going to do things just a little bit different than what it is in your bulletin. Uh, we're going to sing our first hymn and then then we're going to do our Lord's Supper. So after we sing our first hymn, deacons, if you'll go ahead and make your way to come forward. Stand and sing 249, glorify thy name. And I do apologize, Bradley, I don't have the words for any of our songs on the screen this morning. <laughs> so. So hopefully you received your cup and your bread uh, in the cups that you received as you came uh, through the door. 
Uh, if you did not get one of those, our, our ushers will be glad to come and to give you one. Just raise your hand if you did not get one of those. I want to share with you some, from the scripture uh, as we begin to partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, Paul's words uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, to, to the church um, about the Lord's Supper itself. And he tells us in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And then he adds these words of instruction and encouragement to us that says, Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so we want to spend a few moments in prayer before we partake of the supper, uh, the Lord's Supper and the elements, uh, to remember and to look into our own hearts, to examine ourselves. Uh, if there is any sin within our hearts, uh, making sure we are uh, where we need to be in, the, in our relationship with the Lord, confessing any sin before Him, seeking His forgiveness uh, as we come to take of this in a worthy manner. I'm going to ask Brother Mark, if he will, uh, to pray for this examining of our hearts. And if you will, go ahead and pull that top layer off so that you're exposing the bread. And in Mark's gospel, when Jesus and his disciples partook of the Lord's Supper in the upper room, it says, and as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Stan, if he will, to bless the partaking of the bread. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and he ate it and said, take and eat this in remembrance of me. Then if you'll also peel the top back from uh, the cup. And it says in the next verse that he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. I'm going to ask Brother Steve Connor, if he will, to bless the partaking of the cup. Thank you. 
And Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Drink this cup in remembrance of me. And it tells us also in the Gospels that when they left the upper room on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, they sang hymns uh, on their way. So would you stand with us as we stand and sing, Blessed Be the Tithe. And you may have to advance the slides for this one for a spin. Blessed be the tithe can be seated. Thank you. Yeah. Well, again, as you take a look at your bulletins, you'll find our missionary moment. Uh, there in your bulletins looking at Eric and Anna Trout who are serving uh, in Iowa, in Adele, Iowa. Uh, they have started Restoration Church to reach people who are far from God. Uh, they've used acts of service uh, in their community to reach pe uh, people for Christ uh, and, and developing some first steps there. Uh, one way Restoration Church reaches their community is through partnering with a crisis intervention agency uh, in the area. And another outreach of the church is serving at a local community center. So I want to encourage you uh, to be praying for Eric and Anna Trout. You can read more of their story uh, there in the bulletin. But be praying for them in Restoration Church that they'll have more opportunities for gospel conversations conversations with those who are living in Adele, Iowa. So let's go to the Lord in prayer for all of our missionaries this morning. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for uh, those who have answered the call uh, to be missionaries. Father, we pray that uh, you will bless them, uh, watch over them, provide for them, protect them. Uh, Father, we pray especially for Eric and Anna Trout who are serving there in Adele, Iowa. We pray, God, for your blessings upon them and their church as they seek to reach those uh, who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, nor do we know we have missionaries who are serving all around this nation, uh, especially in many places uh, where there's not much gospel uh, presence. And so, Father, I pray that uh, you will bless them in their efforts in sharing the gospel uh, in those places. Lord, be with all of our missionaries who are serving in North America and around the world. And we just pray, God, that you will bless each and every one of them protect them, keep them safe from harm. And bless us, Lord, that as we give to, to, to our tithes and offerings each and every Sunday, that we, be, we would be able to be a bigger blessing uh, to those missionaries who are on the mission field as a portion of our offerings go every Sunday to support those missionaries. And Father, as we come to worship you this morning, having partaken the Lord's Supper, Father, I pray that uh, that has been a solemn occasion for us of examining our hearts, of remembering what Christ has done for us. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you will just uh, have your hand upon us this morning as we come to worship you. Lord, fill our hearts with your presence. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, let me just remind you, too, you can do your giving uh, online at home. You can do it in person here online, too. Uh, but we do have offering envelopes if you want to put those in the offering plate. Uh, they are in the windowsills around, so be sure to grab one of those. The offering plates are at the front and at the doors in the hallways as you leave, so be sure to do that. But just go on our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to that far right-hand side. Click the Give Online tab. Easy platform there for you to set up. And then also because this is the observance of the Lord's Supper today, we also do our benevolence offering uh, that our deacons collect. And that will be taken at the end of the service as you leave uh, through the door. So just a reminder, our deacons, if you would, please stand at the door uh, with one of the empty offering plates there. And then you give also as that goes to support the benevolence ministry of our church. So thank you so much. Turn to 243, sweet, sweet spirit. First and second verse. <clears throat>
Children can be dismissed for the children's church. We'll sing uh, 215, Majesty. take your Bibles this morning, and if you will, turn again to John's Gospel in John chapter 16, uh, verse 5 down through verse 15. I've entitled this message, The Ministry uh, of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot to cover in these 15 or 10 verses, uh, and um, we may not get through it all. We're going to go as quickly as we can. Uh, but there's a lot in the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit that we're going to see in these few verses. So if you would, let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 5, down through verse 7. <clears throat> but now I am going to Him who sent me, 
And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for the blessing of your word. Father, we thank you that not only is this a promise that we see here from Jesus to his disciples as he's getting ready to uh, go to be with you at the right hand of the throne there uh, in heaven. Uh, he is encouraging them that he is going to send the Holy Spirit uh, to be there with them, but also with us and in us. And so, Father, I pray that we will learn some truths this morning that will help us first to make sure that we have that assurance of our salvation and our walk with you. And Father, I pray that we'll be well, more well-grounded as believers, uh, having understood more of the truths and the work of the Holy Spirit. For as we realize the work of the Holy Spirit is to be work in us and through us. So help us, Lord, to be exemplifying and showing uh, the work of the Holy Spirit through everything we do and all we say and where we go. And so bless your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, John chapter 16, in that chapter, we find an interesting section of Scripture here where Jesus here begins to put the spotlight, if you will, on the Holy Spirit. You know, it, as we read about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, it's typically the job of the Holy Spirit to put the focus on Jesus Christ. But here Jesus does it. He did it back in chapter 14. Jesus points us to the Holy Spirit. And so as we head into this final section here of what we've been calling the upper room discourse that's uh, drifted over into the journey to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus begins here to highlight the things that the Holy Spirit uh, has come to do. And this passage on the Holy Spirit it is somewhat easy to divide. Uh, there are uh, three times that Jesus references the Holy Spirit's coming or being sent into the heart and life of believers. Uh, there's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit does, but in this text is what we're going to look at, that Jesus makes it clear that the Holy Spirit comforts, the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit conveys some things to us, convinces us of some things, and guides us. And, and He's going to bring peace uh, in our difficulties. He's going to bring conviction uh, in our sin and faith in our times of doubt. You know, in other words, the Holy Spirit is there for each and every one of us who are believers to assure us as, his, as, as God's people that Jesus was who He said He was and that He did what He said He would do and that He will do what He has promised to do in our lives. And so here's the first point that I want you to see this morning is that the Holy Spirit comforts us in our sorrow. Now, I don't know about you, but there is sorrow all around us in this world, all around us in our lives. We have events and activities and situations, crisis that happens to us all the time, and sorrow comes to us. <clears throat> Whether that's from the loss of a loved one who's no longer with us, or, or maybe the loss of a job, or, or all kinds of other things that we'll see in just a moment. Verse 6 here, that we just read a moment ago, speaks of sorrow filling their hearts, the hearts of the disciples. Now that's an unusual phrase there, because rather than the heart being filled with sorrow as an object, it's sorrow who's done the feeling uh, in our lives, and so in their lives. And so this phrase uh, personifies sorrow and pictures grief as, as having come into the disciples' life kind of suddenly, invading their life, taking complete control. And that's what sorrow does for us. Earlier, Jesus had told his disciples, if you remember back in chapter 14, in the very beginning of chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be what? Troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. And for some reason, his words of comfort that he had offered to his disciples had almost fallen on deaf ears. It's like they weren't even listening to what he said when he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, as the people of God, we can relate to that. 
because we have numerous promises uh, of, of hope and peace in the Bible, and yet so often we live our lives as if those promises don't even exist. And in those moments of anxiety uh, that come into our life as believers, instead of trusting the Lord, that's where we need to be. We need the help of the Comforter. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We tend to be focused on the situation and the crisis around us rather than on the Lord. So notice for the disciples the reason for their sorrow in verse 5 and verse 6 again. So in verse 5 he said, But now I am going to him who sent me. So Jesus is telling them, I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you anymore. Now understand Jesus has been with them as he's called them uh, to be his disciples for about three, three and a half years. He's been uh, pouring his life uh, into them. And, and now he says, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. And you're not going to be able to go with me yet there where I'm going to, but I'm going, as he told us back in chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and one day I'm coming again to call you to be with me so that this place I'm preparing for you, you can be there with me. So understand that sorrow can, can take hold on our hearts for, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, maybe it's a strained relationship. Maybe it's a troubled marriage or, or sickness or death or, or financial problems. Or maybe it's rebellious children. There's hundreds and hundreds of things <clears throat> that can bring sorrow into our life. But as we look at these 11 apostles, these 11 disciples, what, why had these 11 apostles been filled with sorrow? Well, the answer lies for us there probably in verse 5 when he says, I'm going away, and notice what he says, none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, Simon Peter had asked the question back in chapter 13 and verse 36 when he said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered and said, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. You remember Thomas, the doubting disciple. He asked in, in John chapter 14 and verse 5, uh, he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So what is Jesus referencing here when he says, you have not asked me where are you going? When Peter asked, where are you going in John chapter 13 and verse 36, you know what he was most concerned with? He was most concerned with how Jesus' departure was going to impact him and how Jesus' departure was going to impact those disciples around him. He didn't have any concern with the death of Jesus. He didn't have any concern with the betrayal that Jesus had predicted. When you read in John chapter 14 and verse 5, and Thomas uh, as, uh, says, we don't know where you're going, Thomas had only been concerned about his lack of knowledge about where Jesus was going. He wasn't overly concerned about Jesus himself. D.A. Carson says it this way, uh, that he likens it to a father and a son who plan to go fishing uh, when the father's called away to an emergency at work, and the boy says, Ah, oh, where are you going, Daddy? In reality, he said, the little boy doesn't care where Daddy's going. The little boy's only concerned that we're not going fishing. He's concerned about himself. And that's where the disciples were at this point. Leon Morris uh, wrote in his commentary and said, the disciples were more concerned with the bleak future that lay ahead of them without Jesus than they were with what was going to happen to Jesus. And so the truth is, we're much the same way. The things that affect Jesus don't really bother us and don't really move us until they affect us till it puts some, some pressure on us, till it puts some strain on us, then that's when we start getting concerned. This hint of selfishness in their hearts seems all too familiar for us because just think about what has bothered us more in the last month. Has it been American politics or the murder of believers around this world? What's bothered us more, the, 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 the things we see on the crackdown of religious liberty or our kids' sports schedules? Are we more concerned about our summer vacations than we are about how much we impact people for the kingdom of Christ? 
You see, there's the reason for their sorrow, because here was Jesus who was going away. And they weren't really concerned about how all that's going to affect Jesus. All they're concerned about is, how's that going to affect me? And that's so often where we are. And that we need to come to the place of repentance for it. There's a reason for their sorrow, but there's also a reassurance about their sorrow. Going down to, to verse 7, in the beginning of verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. So thankfully, even in their selfishness, Jesus was gracious and sympathetic. And so he offers to his disciples, in the midst of all they're going through, a word of consolation, a word of comfort to them. Jesus knows uh, that the thing that's disturbing uh, your world may not be a big deal to the world, but he still cares about it. I mean, think about it. We tell our kids, don't bother me unless it's something important. But think about it. We, we, we become painfully aware when the little kid, maybe a three-year-old, comes to us, and for them it's a big deal when she got a cookie and I didn't. That may seem insignificant to us, but for them that's a big deal. And, and so we're not any different when it comes to the Lord. Jesus had just told them he's going to be killed. He's going to be betrayed. And then he adds that he's not going to be around to help them. And that's devastating to them. And then in verse 17, or verse 7, he says, but, or nevertheless. Now that's a strong Greek conjunction that means contrary to what you're thinking. So the reason we're filled with despair and sorrow so often that we're filled with it is because we're, uh, we're, we're not thinking right. Sorrow has a way of doing that to the people of God. And think about it, you, you get a diagnosis of, of cancer that's invaded your body, and that just clouds your judgment. It messes with, with all your thinking. You know, you lose your job, and that can wreak havoc on your finances, but not just your finances, that wreaks havoc on your thoughts. How are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to put food on the table? How are we going to pay for gas? Gas is outrageous to be able to go anywhere. And so it begins to mess with the mind. A heartbreaking discovery breaks our heart and breaks our mind. And that's why Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 16, I am sending you another comforter or another helper. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 18, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. And that's why Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so there's the reason for their sorrow. There's the reassurance about their sorrow. And now we see the resource in their sorrow. Because notice what verse 7 goes on to say. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so we have a resource at our disposal as believers. If you're here this morning and you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, the Holy Spirit has come to indwell you, and you have an even better resource than any earthly counselor there is. You have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the promise of the Holy Spirit that will always bring, He will always bring comfort and He will always bring peace to your heart. So the Holy Spirit, part of His ministry and His work is to comfort us in our sorrow. The second thing we see of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of the reality of sin. You come to verse 8 and he says, and when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So Jesus tells the disciples here that one of the greatest blessings that this world would ever receive would be in his leaving. 
and in the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, the answer is found there in verse 8 when he says that he has come to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That word convict is a technical word in the Greek language. It can refer to a witness, to a judge, or a jury that predicts a verdict of guilty. In fact, the word could be translated pronounce a verdict. So the Holy Spirit is God's public defender, if you will, public prosecutor. Uh, not defender, but prosecutor, uh, who brings the case against the entire human race. Now, there's a warning here that every case that the Holy Spirit tries is an open and shut case because if he prosecutes, he never loses. In other words, if there is sin in your life and the Holy Spirit brings that accusation of sin in your life, convicts you of sin, you can rest assured without a shadow of a doubt you are guilty. No ifs, no ands, no buts. The evidence is airtight, the witness is impeccable, and he always gets a verdict of guilty. Here's one of, what I want to tell you that's shocking. That's great news. Because no one can get to heaven unless the Holy Spirit does the convicting work as God's prosecutor and shows us our need for Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. So if you don't know that you're a sinner who needs the righteousness of Jesus Christ, without which you're going to face the judgment of God, then you have no hope of ever going to heaven. Only the Holy Spirit can bring that truth to your heart. There's an old saying that says, what you don't know can't hurt you. But the real truth is, what you don't know can kill you. But what you don't know can kill you. So unless the Holy Spirit convicts you and conveys to you and convinces you of at least these three truths that you either don't know or you might not believe, it can kill you for eternity and separate you forever from God. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. Now, you would think that everybody believes in sin, but that's not true. In our society and all around the world, sin is becoming a forgotten term. It's becoming a, a ridiculed concept. The, the great psychologist Carl Menninger once wrote a book entitled, Whatever Happened to Sin? And he pinpointed the real problem in that book because the world's number one problem is it, it doesn't know what its number one problem is. In a survey that was done not too long back, uh, Americans were asked this question, what are the greatest problems facing this nation? And many things were listed. Racism, poverty, drugs, crime, violence, homelessness, many other things. But not one person listed the number one problem. Because did you notice that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin, singular? Not plural, not sin plural. Uh, you see, the Holy Spirit doesn't deal with the symptoms of a problem. He deals with the cause of the problem. So understand this, our sins are just a symptom of the deeper problem. Sin is the problem. Sins are the fruit of the problem. Sin, singular, is the root of the problem. Uh, our, our one sin that is at the root of all of the sins is the failure to believe in and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Which is why he goes on to say this in verse 9, concerning sin, he convicts concerning sin, why? Because they do not believe in me. And so Jesus boils it all down here to one word, unbelief. Unbelief. Uh, unbelief is the mother and the father of all sins. Refusing to believe in Jesus Christ and refusing to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior uh, is the one sin that you have to be convicted of because it's the only sin that God can't forgive. In fact, if the Holy Spirit takes care of your problem singular, 
sin. He can take care of your sins problem, plural. So understand this. Let me put it this way and explain it a little bit better here. The Holy Spirit can take care of your sin problem, singular. He, if he does that, he can take care of your sins problem, plural. Understand that the only sin that can ever send a person to hell is the sin of unbelief. It's not drinking, it's not smoking, it's not chewing, it's not pornography, it's not any of the other sins we might go through in list of the long list. The sin that will send you to hell is not believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And so we need to understand that, that that's the only sin that can send a person to hell is the sin of unbelief. People don't die and go to hell because they gamble, because they drink, because they cheat, because they lie, because they steal, or because they kill. Those are all symptoms of the bigger problem in your heart, that you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And so Jesus, understand, died for every one of those sins, and he can forgive every one of those sins, but the one sin that will kill you eternally is the sin of refusing to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because here's why Jesus, here's what he said in John chapter 3 and verse 17 and verse 18, right after he tells us the great, the great word that we know in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's what he says following that in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He didn't list homosexuality there. He didn't list gambling. He didn't list stealing. He didn't list killing. He said unbelief. Whoever does not believe in the name of the only Son of God is not saved. So understand that a courtroom can convict you of a crime. Your conscience can convict you of guilt, but only the Holy Spirit can convict you of your sin. The great evangelist Dwight L. Moody once said, if a man is troubled about his sin, it must be the work of the Holy Spirit because Satan never told him he was a sinner. Satan's never told anybody that they're a sinner. You see, refusing to believe in Jesus Christ is not only the parent of all sins, it's the preeminent sin of all sins. Because put simply, unbelief is what we know of in the Bible as the unpardonable sin. That's the one sin of all sins that cannot be pardoned, cannot be forgiven. That if you die in this life and you did not believe in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, that's it. It's unpardonable. You can name any sin you can conceive of, any sin you can imagine. God can forgive that sin, but there's one problem God cannot solve, and that's the problem of you refusing to believe in Jesus. There's only one person that God can't save, and that's the person who refuses to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But the only the Holy Spirit can convict you of that sin. Here's another truth I want you to see about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit conveys to us the identity of righteousness. So nowhere in this whole discussion does Jesus ever say, if you do X, Y, and Z, or if you do A, B, and C, Everything's counted righteous, you're, you're done, you're good, you'll go to heaven. In other words, you can't do good things to get yourself into heaven. And you can't not do good things to keep yourself out of hell. So understand, it's the Holy Spirit who conveys to us the identity of righteousness. Notice again in verse 8, not only does he convict the world concerning sin, but also the second word he gives there is and righteousness. So he goes on to say there that the Spirit will convict of righteousness. Now, it stands to reason if the world doesn't understand sin apart from the Holy Spirit, it cannot understand righteousness apart from the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what we find. The world thinks that people who do bad are bad, and that people who do good are good. But all throughout the Scriptures, we see that the Scriptures remind us there is none that do good. No, not one. Not a single one of us do good. 
And so the Bible says that a person isn't righteous because of what they do. They're righteous because of what they are. Righteousness isn't an external act. It's an internal condition. You see, we have a sin problem. We just learned that. But God doesn't. God doesn't have a sin problem. We're sinful. God isn't. God is perfect in every way, in every shape, in every form. So if God is righteous, but we are not, then in order for us to be right with God, we need to have a God-like kind of righteousness. And there's only actually two kinds of righteousness. There's man's righteousness, and there is God's righteousness. You think about the Jewish religion, and as Jesus is speaking to those who are Jews here even at this time, the Jewish nation was so hardened against the Lord Jesus Christ, it was because they insisted that a human's righteousness is all that's needed. As long as I go to the temple, as long as I offer sacrifices, as long as I do, 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 then God will accept me. Not what Jesus teaches. That's man's righteousness. But there is God's righteousness. Paul said of those individuals in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So there are two basic problems with all human righteousness. First of all, human righteousness is totally unacceptable to God. Isaiah 64, verse 6, very familiar passage that many of us maybe even have memorized before. Our righteousness, all our good deeds that you could possibly ever do in this life are as filthy rags. There's nothing you could do that could ever amount up for you to do enough good to gain you some kind of entrance into heaven. That means that God will no more accept our human righteousness, our human works, than a doctor accepts dirty bandages. Our best righteousness, our best efforts, our best deeds are actually the worst kind of righteousness when you compare it to God's perfect righteousness. And therein lies the problem. The problem is we would much rather compare ourselves to somebody who's a murderer. We'd rather compare ourselves to somebody who's a thief or, or somebody who's living in immorality. We'd rather compare ourselves to them than we would to God. Because when you begin to compare yourself to God, you begin to realize every single one of us fails. That's why John goes on to say this in verse 10. <clears throat> why does the Holy Spirit convict concerning righteousness? Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The problem was is that Jesus ruins the curve. You think you're righteous as long as you compare yourself to somebody else, but when you compare yourself to Jesus, all of us fail. Jesus had come from the Father, and so now he's going to go to the Father. Now only a righteous, not only a righteous man on his own, uh, no righteous man on his own can ever go to a righteous God. And that's exactly what Jesus had done. He was the perfect, sinless person in our place who died for us. So understand, a sinner can't go to a righteous God alone. But he can go to a righteous God through the righteousness of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when you trust in the Lord Jesus, your righteousness is as filthy rags. But he imputes or gives to you in your place his righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is laid upon you so that when the Father looks at you, the Son is saying, not guilty, forgiven paid for at the cross. He took care of all the penalty that you deserve. We have sin, but Jesus is righteous. When we come to Jesus, he gives us that God-like kind of righteousness that makes us righteous before God. In fact, that's why he died on the cross and why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, he says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're not going to get to heaven on our own righteousness because we need to understand that sin isn't doing bad and righteousness isn't doing good. Sin is rejecting Jesus. Righteousness is receiving Jesus. But only the Holy Spirit can convey that truth to you in your heart. We have a Holy Spirit who comforts us in our sorrow, who convicts us of our sin, who conveys to us the identity of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit convinces us of the certainty of judgment. Going down to verse 11. So he said back in verse 8, he convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And now he says in verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? The devil. Understand that, it's the devil. And so this third truth uh, the Holy Spirit came to convince us of here in this, is here in this verse. Notice we're not told that Satan is going to be judged. We're just told that he has been judged. Now, why does Jesus bring the devil into all of this discussion about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit? You see, the devil is the father of all sin. And because of that, he's the father of all sinners. So the point that Jesus is making is, is if the father has been judged, so will his children. So if your father, the devil, has been judged, if you are of the devil, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're an enemy of God, you're a child of the devil, you're going to receive the judgment he's received. If Satan, the king of sin, hasn't escaped judgment, neither will his subjects. But let me tell you again, only the Holy Spirit can convince you that is true. Right now, God is waiting to bring everyone into his courtroom. In that day, nobody's going to post a bond. Nobody's going to escape across the border. Nobody's going to plead the Fifth Amendment. Nobody's going to be found innocent by reason of insanity. There won't be any appeal to any higher court. It is the highest court. When the prosecutor known as the Holy Spirit presents his case, not a single one of us will have any defense except those who've trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Because Jesus has offered for free a free gift to take any case, any defendant, if he's allowed to. But if he's not, when the gavel comes down, the verdict will be guilty. And that verdict will ring out through all eternity. And every defendant will acknowledge it's true, and the world will know it. The Holy Spirit has been sent by Jesus to tell you you're a sinner. He's been sent to tell you, you need Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has been sent to tell you that if you refuse him, you will face the certain judgment of God. But here's the deal. You can settle your case out of court. Isn't that a good thing? Amen. You can settle your case out of court. You can let the Lord Jesus take your case. You can make the prosecutor your friend. You can make the judge your father and spend eternity with God in heaven if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit who comforts us in our sorrow. We have the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin. We have the Holy Spirit who conveys to us, you need Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit who convinces us of the certainty of judgment. Now, there's more that we're going to look at tonight. That's as far as we're going to get this morning. We're going to look at how the Holy Spirit is our personal guide. I want to encourage you to come back for tonight's message because that's where it's going to get practical for you as a believer. But understand this this morning. If you've never trusted by faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't risk it because you don't know what's going to happen when you walk out of these doors. You don't know what's going to happen when you drive through town who might run a red light and run right into you. You don't know if you're going to have a heart attack come upon you. 
You don't know if this week you're going to get a diagnosis of a terminal disease in your life, but one thing we do know is that if you die in your sin, you'll spend an eternity without Jesus. Not die in your sins, die in your sin. But you never believed in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. It's a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. Would you do that this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer this morning, we know, Lord, that there may be many who are here who already have done that. They have that assurance of their salvation. So, Lord, I pray that they would just be praying for some other individuals around them or maybe other family members or other co-workers or friends that they know who don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Father, I pray that you would use this in their hearts and their lives to, to reassure them that it's not our sins, gambling, cheating, lying, all those things we could list. It's not our sins that send us to hell. It's the sin of not receiving Jesus and dying having not done that. Father, every one of us are here alive this morning. We're breathing. And there may be those who are here this morning or those who are watching online that this is their last and final opportunity before they draw their last dying breath to receive Jesus. So, Father, I pray they would cry out to you and say, Dear God, I recognize and realize this morning the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart to remind me I'm a sinner and that the only answer for my life is Jesus. I trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I believe he died on that cross for me. I believe he was buried in the tomb and arose from the grave for me. Lord, I pray and ask you to come into my heart and to my life and to save me and to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, if there's someone who's prayed something like that in their own words, in their own heart this morning, may they come to publicly profess that faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that we as believers will be instruments in your hand to do the work of the Holy Spirit, to live in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that others will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Father, they wouldn't look at us and say, man, he's a good person or she's a great woman. Lord, they would say, wow, they serve a great God. And Father, I pray that you'll use our lives as believers and our words as we seek to live not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit living in us to produce that fruit, to be a witness to a lost and dying world around us. Serving loving, ministering to people, showing them the very character and nature of Jesus Christ as you conform us more and more to the image of Christ. So bless us this morning as believers. Help us to be that witness we need to be. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless this invitation. May you be glorified and honored in it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Brother Bradley, if you'll come and lead us in our hymn of invitation, turn your eyes upon Jesus. As the Lord lays on your heart, would you come as we stand, as we sing this morning? Number
Amen. You can be seated. Brother Mark, come to share our announcements. Uh, deacons, if you'll go ahead and start making your way to the door to collect our benevolence offering, uh, as you leave, be sure to give that offering. And then also don't forget uh, the, little, the, 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 the little containers underneath your seats there that you put your cups in. Uh, you can dispose of the cups at the door and take the little container with you if you want to take one of those with you. Thank you. Good morning, church. Just want to remind y'all, if you're interested in the uh, mission trip this afternoon, we'll have a meeting at 5 o'clock in the youth room. And also to uh, let you know, this is a, next Sunday is our move-up Sunday, so if you have a kid entering sixth grade, they will join the youth department. And also if you have a kid entering third grade, then they will need to uh, stay in here with parents, So, because our uh, children's church is, gonna be, is, is preschool through uh, second grade. So just remember that as well. And if you have any questions, just come and talk to me. Thanks. Okay, a couple of other announcements. Let's be uh, <clears throat> remembering the family of uh, Bryce Sermon. I think it's a family friend or relative of Linda Miller's. Uh, young man, I think he was a boy who was killed in an accident this week. Also, uh, in Pastor Jim's cousin, Cindy Cruz, Waverly, Tennessee passed away this week. And then Rick Miller's mother, Libby Kine from Ohio originally, uh, lived in Tullahoma for many years, passed away also this week. Let's be in prayer for these families and the loss of their loved ones. And then uh, prayer requests, uh, we have uh, Mark Raymond and uh, Carolyn Waller recovering from a procedure. Uh, Sandra Wells preparing to have surgery in a few days. And then uh, Brian Tate has got a doctor's appointment coming up. And Brian uh, s suggests that we praise the Lord for his friend, Kim Saunders, who is now cancer-free. And finally, ac activities for this afternoon, Buildings and Grounds Committee will meet immediately following the service in the conference hall, conference uh, room back here. So with that, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for your promise through Jesus of this Holy Spirit who convicts, convicts, conveys, convinces, and comforts us and uh, is our companion and our advocate. And uh, we thank you for his presence in our lives. We thank you for this reminder uh, from your word of his, his uh, partnership with you and uh, with Christ and, uh, and being with us and supervising and comforting us in our lives. We lift up all these families that have experienced loss or, or illness in recent times. Ask that you would be near and precious to each one. And just go with us now from this place. Uh, may we be uh, those that are testifying and honoring you with our lives throughout the week, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We've got one more thing, sorry. And then you can go. Hey, also next week we're starting our new beginnings class. So if you are uh, interested in joining Highland Baptist Church or you'd like to learn more about the church, we have a sign-up sheet that you can uh, be a part of that class. It starts next Sunday with Tommy Griffin. And so you can talk to me or him, but we got our sign-up sheet out here on the bulletin board. And so we would love for you to be a part of that. Sunday mornings at 915 uh, and upstairs in, I think it's room 200. Thank you. <laughs>